Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Wonderful. Okay, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for the privilege of sharing your word. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give me grace not to be ashamed of your word, to modify your word, to add to your word, to detract from your word. Let me be true to your word. And Father, I pray that we as a people would be Christ-centered, that we would be distracted from the things of these, this world and focus our whole heart, mind, and attention upon Jesus, who is simply the Alpha and the Omega of all things. And everyone said, Amen. You know, there's something that has been on my mind a lot recently, and, and not least this week, and that's that uh, with all the Growing Family campaign, and that's, you know, we're still uh, working hard at that, looking forward to, uh, we hope, buying the building next door. Please pray, please give, please turn up on Thursday and let's pray. And by the way, um, this Thursday, this first new Thursday night call to prayer, I, I personally thought I would be fasting and praying that day. A number of you said to me how helpful that was for you last time. It's not something that we have in recent years done a great deal of. But why not join with me, even if you can't come to the evening meeting, in, uh, in fasting and praying on Thursday? Now, for some of you, that might just mean that you miss one meal. Use that time, you know, go for a little walk in the park, or if you've got the kids, you know, uh, if you're at home, if you're a homemaker, if, they, if they're quiet for a few moments, just take a few moments to, to, rather than collapse with a coffee and, you know, your favorite iPod music, just spend a few moments in prayer and pray for us and this church that God will do all that he is planning to do in us and through us. But the main thing that I want to convey this morning is, is that Jesus is the very center of, of what we're about. And it really doesn't matter if we build some great crystal cathedral type thing. You know, The truth of the matter is that unless Jesus is at the very center of all that we say and do, then really we're going to miss the mark. We may win great reputations for the quality of our donuts or whatever, but if Jesus isn't at the very center of it, then we're in trouble. I don't know, three or four years ago, I think it was now, maybe longer, time flies, doesn't it? I remember a point when I, I was reflecting upon my preaching and wanting to get better at it, and I resolved at that point that every time I preached, no matter what the subject was on, I would make sure that I wove into it at least a cursory outline of what the gospel is, the good news, the fact that, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died for the sins of the world, that Jesus died for your sin and mine. And if we come to him seeking his face and forgiveness, if we give our lives to him, then we are included in the family. We become a son or a daughter of the Most High God. He plans our future accordingly, and we can leave this place with a, a hope of an eternity spent with him rather than, than an eternity spent without God, which is a very scary thought. And I resolved to include that in. So if you've been coming regularly, you will know that at the end of the service, when I'm sort of reading out a few little uh, pointers and words of knowledge, we call them, you know, appeal, you know, invitations to come for healing prayer, I always try and include that opportunity for you to come forward for prayer and, and basically to give your life to Christ. And that's, that absolutely has to be at the center of what we do. Jesus has to be the main thing and the plain thing in this place. We want people to go away and say, wow, I don't know what it was about those people. They were welcoming maybe, they were happy maybe, they were you know, well-fed maybe, but there was a sense of God's presence 
in that place. That's what we crave. And today really leads on into that. In that last week, if you were here, and if you missed it, please do catch up with the podcast. But I did a little teaching out of Colossians chapter 4, 2 to 6. I felt that it was important to remind us about the, the charge Christ has given us, the, you know, the command to, to be those who share faith, who don't just keep it to ourselves as some sort of little precious gift that we, you know, like a photograph uh, I haven't got my wallet on me, but a photograph of the family, you know, something you take out that, you know, when you're away from home, you just have a little peep, put it in your pocket, you know. Uh, but it's the, our faith should be something that we share. And that is challenging. That's challenging for many people. You know, if you're an extrovert, outgoing type, it might arguably be easier. But for many people, you know, many people who are in, of an introvert disposition, you know, that's very, very challenging. And uh, I've been thinking and praying about that. So last week I did a little bit of a teaching on Colossians chapter 4, and you can catch up with that. And, and I said that I would do a recap this week of a whole series we did last year on sharing our faith. And we did it sort of May-June time. It, it's on the app. It's on the, uh, you know, the website. You can check it out. And uh, so I'm going to do a, a draw on that sort of that teaching, add a few new thoughts, today's thoughts are new thoughts, and then next week I'll give you, I'll once again go into some very practical pointers about things you can do, not impossible things that it's just too tall an order to ask of you, but things you can do which will create an environment or create the space, if you like, where the Holy Spirit can come and really begin to work change and transformation in people's lives. So. The basic premise of Just Walk Across the Room was and is this, that actually it begins with us stepping out of our comfort zones, whatever that is, and saying hello to someone new. Now, this is a curious thing, but it's absolutely true. I, I was actually shocked. Only last year, I was, uh, we, we were doing our induction course 101, Essentials 101, and I was chatting to some people there, they were new to the church, and I was asking them about their experience, what was good, what was bad, what was indifferent, what, we can, what can we do better? Uh, and when I came to the, to the sort of what, what, was, what was bad, they said, um, it, it's the thing where we turn and meet and greet people. I said, I beg your pardon? I said, when we, ta- when we have to turn around and say hello to people, I, I want to run from the building, this person said. They're not in the room now, so well, I'm not sure. I hope, I hope they're not. <laughs> I, I just can't stand that. You know, I, I just want to come in and just, you know, worship and then that's it, you know. And, you know, I, I, I was so shocked I was lost for words, which is quite something for me, really. You know, we, we put so much effort and energy into welcoming and embracing. And actually, they volunteered. They said, oh, yes, the kids have been wonderful, so welcoming. They wanted their kids to be welcomed. They didn't want their kids to be ignored or, or left out of things. But they didn't want to extend a welcome. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I came. I was, I, I was staggered. And I've come up with one word that sort of summarizes my response to that, which I wish, you know, I wish I'd thought of it at the time. You know, have you ever had a, a situation like that when you've had an argument or a bit of a difficult conversation with somebody or somebody's rude in traffic or in the supermarket and you drive home all bristling and you think of all the things you should have said? Anybody ever done that? Only me? Some of you. Everybody on the front row. All the holy people on the front row. <laughs> Nobody else. 
Well, I thought of, I thought of what I should have said to that person. One word. Tough. <laughs> Tough. You don't like it? Tough. We're going to continue doing it. Because if we can't even turn around and say good morning to someone that we don't know, oh my gosh. The fundamental premise of just walk across the room was that Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, who incidentally made everything, all things were made through him, stepped out of his comfort zone on the throne of heaven, surrounded by angels, and was born as a baby in Bethlehem. Lived the life on the backside of Galilee, a carpenter's son. Walked dusty streets. Ended up on a cross, suffering for your sin and mine. Died and rose again, so that we might know the Father's love and be welcomed home. Whatever our background, whatever our color or age or, or experience, he stepped out of his comfort zone. And then he calls us, he speaks to us, and he says in his word, he says, you are my disciples. And disciples, as many of you know, doesn't mean colleague or co-worker or mate. It doesn't mean friend. It doesn't mean, you know, team player. Disciple means follower. We follow Christ. And Jesus says, we have to take up our own crosses, whatever that is, and we all have troubles and difficulties and struggles in our life. But we take up our own cross and follow him. And then he charges us all at the end of Matthew's gospel. And remember, he's talking to his followers there, and there were extroverts there, and there were introverts there. There were zealots and political activists. You know, there were carpenters, tax collectors, you name it, Uncle Tom Cobbley and all. And he said to all of them, all of them, going to the furthest corners of the world and make disciples. This is the call, the high calling, the royal calling that is upon the church. And unless we keep focused on that, unless we make Jesus the main thing and the plain thing, unless we do that, you can forget about the leather sofas and the new wool rug and all the rest. It's, it's just trippery. Trippery? Frippery. I don't know, anyway, or something like that. It, it's of inco no consequence whatsoever. It has to be that Jesus is lifted up in this place, that the name of Jesus is honored, and we honor him by carrying his name, bearing his name, and sharing his name out there. So, so really, this little teaching out of 2 Timothy I'm going to launch into now, deals with that fundamental issue which all of us are subject to from time to time, and that is a reluctance, a timidity, if you like, when it comes to sharing our faith, not making the most of every opportunity. And so we're going to teach into that. So would you turn with me, please, 
to 2 Timothy. It'll go up on the screen if you haven't got anything with you, but if, if you're following on a, in, a, in a real Bible or a smartphone or something, then uh, turn with me, please, to 2 Timothy. And we're going to read 2 Timothy, verses 3 to 9. So I know I've skipped a screen or two, Matt, but if you can help me out here. Thank you. Bless your heart. Great. And let's just read this through. Ooh. Okay. Paul is one of the great champions of the faith. He planted churches. He uh, was responsible for uh, uh, some of the finest theology that we can find in the scripture. And he had a a young man called Timothy who he kind of mentored. That's what we would call it today. I don't know what he would have called it. And Timothy, although young, was nonetheless a bright young man and someone who Paul really leant upon in terms of furthering the mission. There were seasons, there were times when Paul was under house arrest or he was actually in prison in Rome for a season. And it was through young men and probably women too, like Timothy, who he, he continued to mentor and encourage and challenge the church. And this is just such a letter, a personal letter, not to the church as such, but to Timothy. And he says this, chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or for me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his, his own grace and purpose. Now, one of the things I've shared before but I'm doing more this last year or two, is when, when I'm reading the scriptures and, or actually, funnily enough, as somebody did today, they, uh, at the end of the first service, they came up and very graciously, kindly gave me a little prophetic word, something to encourage me. When God says, for example, um, be brave or be courageous or something like that, I, I see more than it just being, a, you know, play nicely, you know, be good, have a great day. You know, it's not just idle chit-chat. When God says, be brave, be bold, whatever, it's because there is the other side of the coin that is a real possibility. Maybe if suddenly, they didn't say that to, to me today, I'm just using it as an example, and it ties in with the talk. But if, if God says something to us, then there is the risk or the possibility that we might do exactly the opposite. Now, looking at this passage here, just this short passage we have read, we can tell a number of things about Timothy. First of all, it says here in verse 4, it says, Paul recalls Timothy's tears. 
when he was, had hands laid on him. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm, I'm hoping that you will reflect upon your own experience as I ask the question, how many of you at some point or another, when you've been either praying or studying God's word or in worship together, you know, in the church, how many of you have been moved to tears? It's a personal thing. I'm not going to ask for a show of, te- of hands. Not everybody shows emotion the same way, but how many of us here who are followers of Christ have not, at some point, been stirred by God? Well, it seems that Timothy was, was passionate. He, he, he found himself in tears. He was deeply moved, was Timothy, as, as the grace of God came upon him, as the Holy Spirit came upon him in that moment. He was deeply moved, moved to tears, a passionate young disciple of Christ and a, and a sort of a, a young man under Paul's teaching. It goes on in verse 5, he says, uh, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. He was quite a serious young person, I think. I think the very fact that Paul took an interest in him would, would suggest that Timothy was, was not unlike Paul. And Paul was very zealous. Maybe Paul saw in him the son he never had. Maybe, in fact, he calls him a son from time to time. Maybe he was a chip off the old block. You know, I, I, I think to spend an afternoon talking to Paul would be fascinating. I don't know whether you agree or not, but I think it would be hard work. I don't think Paul was the kind of person who was into small chat or anything like that. He was pretty intense, pretty full on. And I suspect that Timothy was a little like that, sincere, zealous, you know, really committed and, and, and devoted and if not even distracted, as it were, by the things of the kingdom, with little tolerance for for anything else. Maybe, possibly, hard work to be with. Probably an introvert. You know, extroverts kind of be sort of, you know, they sort of bounce around like, you know, I'm a bit of an extrovert, sort of bounce around, say hi to people, all these kind of things like that. But introverts, God bless you, and probably 50% of you are introverts by nature. You know, you're thinkers. You, 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 You don't do great in a party social thing, but at the same time, you go away and you think deeply, and once you've made up your mind about something, you're there, you know? One of the GLS talks, I must commend the GLS talks to you, and thank you, Richard, for doing a plug, is on the power of the introvert. Gosh, that was a fascinating talk. You know, if you can get there, hock your watch and, you know, get there and, you know, be there. Wonderful talk. The power of the introvert. You know, in business these days, it's all about the extrovert, the characters, the Richard Bransons, all this kind of stuff, you know. But, you know, the power of the introvert, the innovative ideas and the, the, you know, the way they think through, it's a wonderful thing. Timothy was probably an introvert. And yet once he was committed to something, he went for it. Many fine qualities we might aspire to. And yet... There is something else, using that kind of, looking at those things that Paul is charging Timothy with and asking ourselves the question, was there a possibility that he could be other than that thing that Paul is charging us with or charging him with? Something begins to emerge. Verse 8, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame 
the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands? Had it grown a little, di- a little quiet? Had it dulled down? Why was that if he was you know, passionate and zealous and thoughtful and committed? Why does Paul have to say to him, come on now, fan it into flame. Come on. Come on, do that. The clue is, as you read on, it goes on to say this. Three times as we read through that chapter, and you may like to take this home and look at it yourself. Three times as we read through this chapter, Paul says to Timothy, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. Ashamed? Do not be ashamed of the gospel or or, or me in chains. Don't let that embarrass you. Do not be ashamed. Three times? Two times he says, Timothy, I'm not ashamed about the Lord. I'm not ashamed about the gospel. Romans 1.16, another context, of course. Paul says what? Anybody want to earn a brownie point? Romans 1.16. Give that lady a clap. Wonderful. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Thank you. On the money. I am not ashamed of the gospel. We'll come back to that thought in just a moment. So twice he says, Timothy, bless you. What's happening? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The inference being that Timothy might be getting a little cool. Passionate, sincere, deeply committed, but needs to fan into flame the fire of the gospel. And once he says this, Onesiphorus is not ashamed. So bang, 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 bang. Six references, six charges to Timothy. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. And in fact, the remedy to this, the remedy is actually also in this passage, 2 Timothy 1.7, which is a bit of a life verse for me, interestingly enough. 2 Timothy 1.7, thank you. In fact, let me just tell you this. When I was christened on, I think it was the 23rd of June, 1953, don't bother to work out the, how old I am. My mum, she wasn't a Christian, they weren't, but, but the norm was to give a Bible. You know, in the Anglican church, she gave a little Bible or prayer book. Well, she dutifully went out and she bought a Bible. And uh, you were supposed to write something in it. Well, she had no faith whatsoever and didn't know what to write. So, and she told me this she, a few years before she died, because I asked about it. She opened up the Bible and read this verse. It just kind of came out of the pages at her. And it was 2 Timothy 1.7. And it says in the, the NIV, which is what we've got here, for the Spirit of God gave us, the, for, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gave, gives us power, love, and self-discipline. In my little Bible, when I was growing up, which I, hardly, I never read, nobody read, but it was sort of on my bookshelf, and every now and get it down, it had a kind of a little cardboard gold box and a bit of tissue in it, and there was this Bible which was given me on my christening, 1953, it said this, for I have not given you a spirit of timidity, spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And I grew up with that. 
My mum wrote that in. And Paul here, in the midst of this exhortation, says, you know, God has not given you this spirit of timidity, this spirit of fear. It comes from the other side. God has not given you that. And so, you know, as someone who is, believe it or not, you may be surprised, subject from time to time to fear and timidity, I I know I have to push through that. I, 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 I need to push through that because that is not God's gift to you. If you're feeling shame, fear, timidity, that is not from God. That's from the enemy. Thank you. It's from the enemy. Get some prayer. Do restore. Turn to your neighbor at some point. Get them to pray. Get, get some prayer. I, I'm not saying that we can live a life without fear, but it's what we do with fear. The trouble is, too often, fear paralyzes us. It, it, it causes us to be dysfunctional. You know, fear can be a healthy thing. You know, flight, fight or flight, you know, you know when to sort of pick a fight with a Tyrannosaurus Rex or when to run like Bilio, you know. Kept to safe. It, it, it is actually a healthy thing, but it becomes unhealthy when it begins to paralyze us. And the church, in many areas of the world, is paralyzed by fear. And that which should be proclaimed from the, the housetops, from the steeples, that which should be shared with all is, is like you know, a photograph of the kids in, that you keep in your wallet and you pull it out and have a little look at it when you're on a business trip for four days and don't get to see them. It's not meant to be like that. It's not meant to be like that. What the enemy brings, says Paul, is quite clear and it's quite extensive. We, we will just have a quick look at that. Uh, turn with me to chapter 3. Chapter 3 says this. Paul is kind of comparing the life of faith uh, with, with the life that is, you know, apparent and all around them, much like today. But mark this, says Paul, there will be terrible times in the last days. I feel that we're living in terrible times. That we're living in extraordinary times, but terrible times too. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. You know, as I read through that during the week as I was preparing this talk, you know, I, I kind of almost rattled through the list saying, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. And then there was that last bit which kind of made me sit up. Having a form of godliness. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And I thought, wow. What is the power that we might lack if we're not careful? What was it our friend said over there? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. It doesn't matter how good the donuts are, or how comfy the leather sofas are, or how great the parking is, or the, or the kids' ministry. 
It doesn't matter about all these other things if we do not have the gospel at the very center of, of, of Christendom, if we do not have it at the very center, if we do not have the gospel and Christ himself at the center of the vineyard denomination, if we do not have Jesus at the very center of our church here, if we do not have him at the very center of our walk with him and be ready at a moment's notice to share what we know of him, not the whole story, but what we know of him, then we are in trouble because we begin to deny the very power of godliness. It's just another way of being nice, as we've often said. Now, the wonderful thing about Paul's summary statement in, two, in 1 Timothy, sorry, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, is that it actually covers all of those things. Verse 7, again, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid or fearful or anxious, but gives us power love and self-discipline. God has put the gospel in our hearts, the good news about Jesus. And as we share what we know, inadequate it may be, remember Andrew, the disciple, who said to his brother, come with me, I, I want you to meet the Messiah. He didn't have all the answers. He hadn't worked it out yet. But he knew enough to say, come with me. I, I want you to meet Jesus. That's at least what we can do. Come with me. Let me introduce you to Jesus. The power is the gospel. Without it, we're just a bunch of do-gooders. And you know how much the world despises do-gooders? Well, let's not be despised for doing good. Let's have the gospel at the center of what we do. The second element here. God does not give us a spirit of timidity. He gives us power and he gives us love. Love, as it says in the scriptures, covers a multitude of sins. And boy, there was a multitude of sin in that, that, that chapter 3 I read out. A load of distasteful things. It was full of them. But love covers a multitude of sins. Love causes us to defer to others. Love causes us to, to live out a life of, of service, even when we don't feel like it. Oh, I'm on the flipping rotor again. Oh, gosh, you know. Oh, there's my neighbor coming up to borrow the lawnmower again. Why doesn't he buy one, for heaven's sake? All these kind of things that beset us and come against us. Love, the love of Christ in us, as we've often said, enables us to be inconvenienced. We don't mind helping when it's convenient. The difference between a Christ follower and, a, and someone who isn't is that we are willing to lay down our lives whether it's convenient or not. A challenging thought. So love overcomes selfishness. All those, we don't have to list it all, just ask God to reveal his love to us and give it away. That's all, just do an Andrew. I don't have all the answers. But I know this, if you know Christ, if you'll, why don't we go to an Alpha together? 
or whatever the question is, if, if you will allow yourself to be used by the Holy Spirit in that moment, then what begins to happen is that work of transformation begins to take place in us. And thirdly, self-discipline. So much of what we see today, it seems like the world is out of control. And why wouldn't it be when it seems that people are out of control? You know, this kind of, you know, do whatever you like. As, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's so facile, it's so superficial. Because, of course, it hurts everybody, you know? Why shouldn't I have numerous, this is, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm doing this, but why, you know, people will say, you know, young men, young women will say, why, why shouldn't I have multiple sexual partners? Why? Because it breaks down family units, because, because children come of that, and then what happens with them? They come, they, they come trading around, and, and a whole generation, we're being told, is growing up with a dad, but not a father. We need fathers who are there to raise the kids, not just, not just, you know, have a kid. It does damage us. We need that spirit of self-control, self-discipline, so that we are able to, to walk the royal way, as I've often called it. And yes, we stumble, and yes, we trip, and sometimes we fall over and have to be helped up and forgiven. 1 John says this, if anyone sins, and he's talking to Christians, if any of you sin, if I sin, no matter, we have, a, we have an advocate with the Father, and he is the propitiation of our sins. We have someone who will go before the Father and plead our case. We will fall from time to time. But the, what is important is that we know that God has placed within us his spirit which is an overcoming spirit. A spirit that does not make us afraid. A spirit that enables us to love. A spirit that enables us to live a righteous life. And I'm bringing it home now. Flissy and myself, just the last couple of days, we've had a great bit of fun. We were at, uh, we were at the Revival. Uh, the Goodwood Revival, which is a car show down in Sussex. So sorry to disappoint you if you got all excited there. And while we were there, lovely time, just a great little opportunity for us to get away without grandkids, without all, for, just, just for some of myself, lovely time. And lots of fine cars, and of course, you know I'm a bit of a petrol head, but one of the things that really stirred me this time, funnily enough, was the sight of two Lancaster bombers now, those, I see one or two going to war. Well, these big old airplanes, there were thousands of them built during the Second World War. And uh, actually, there's only one left in the Battle of Britain flight. But about three weeks ago, uh, we got another one sent over from Canada. You may have seen it in the news. Apparently, it was sent out in boxes at the end of the Second World War, if I've got this right, never actually needed, and so they've reassembled it, and, and it was actually flown across, and so we saw both these bombers and two or three Spitfires, all Second World War planes that made the difference. But the thing about those old Lancasters was that, I tell you, they were amazing. 
don't fly very fast by today's standard, but you could, you could hear them and then feel them before you even saw them. They had this deep, thunderous rumble, and they kind of flew over like this. It was a magnificent thing, and it was caused me to remember how last year, I think it was, Her Majesty the Queen and a load of dignitaries unveiled a memorial at Marble Arch, or thereabouts, is that right, John? Hyde Park, is it? Marble Arch. And, and it was a tribute, a wonderful, a wonderful statue of an air crew. These planes had eight or nine crew members, and one in three died. It was an incredibly high cost, very high risk. And these young men were 19, 20, 21, you know? Extraordinary sacrifice. And so all the dignitaries were there. It was a great day. It's a wonderful monument. If you do think of it, go and have a look. It's beautifully done. But they were interviewing one or two of the remainder of the flight crews who actually flew these things. Obviously, they're all gentlemen now. And one of them, it really struck me at the time. One of them was asked how he felt about the day, and he said one or two things. And then he said, you know, the funny thing is, people keep saying to me, we were very brave. Very brave, they say. You were very brave. We weren't brave. We were terrified. Absolutely terrified. But we knew what our duty was. And we did it. It really caught me. You see, sometimes I don't feel like being a Christian to be perfectly honest. Not that I think being a Christian is a bad thing, it's just that sometimes I just want a quiet life. I don't want to be troubled. I don't want to walk across the room and greet a new person, somebody I don't recognize, somebody who's looking a little bit kind of lost and forlorn. I don't want to do that. But you know what? Even this morning, Jesus caught me out. Even this morning. All this week, there's been a verse that's been kind of rattling around my mind, and I've been kind of shying away from it because it's a bit hardcore. Luke chapter 9, verse 26, I think. Have you got, your, have you got that, Dan? Just pop up here and read this verse. As he comes up, what happened this morning was, again, this verse came to mind. And I thought, I don't want to share that with the folk. I don't want to kind of... You know, and then the Lord said to me, are you ashamed of my word, Chris? Oh, my gosh. Are you ashamed of my word? And I knew I had to include it. Then could you read that? Have I got the reference right? Yes, Paul. Okay, read it out, mate. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Just read that again. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Thank you. You see, it's not just Paul trying to G up a protege. The truth of the matter is, the church of Jesus Christ has really start, got to start getting bold because we've got good news to share. And we must not be ashamed of it because it's the power of God unto salvation. 
Next week, I will remind you of some simple, practical steps that you can do, whether you're extrovert, introvert, or somewhere in the middle. Things that you can do that will allow space for the Holy Spirit, who is the true evangelist, to bring glory to Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please let's stand, let's just pray, and let's have the worship team up just to finish off. Thank you. Father God, I want to say thank you to you for this gospel. Never, never, never let us forget at what a high price, at what a high price it was bought for us. Just like those dear old men, those air crew who were terrified and yet they went through it. Lord, the gospel we carry, the gospel we have heard, the gospel that we have responded to, this good news about forgiveness of sins and eternal life, Lord God, this is good news and news worth sharing. Lord, may we never tuck it away in a back pocket. May we always be ready to give an account for the hope that is within us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.